0: I want you to think about home. I wonder what images, um, maybe what feelings come to mind when I ask you to do that. Many will be feelings maybe of comfort, of warmth. Uh, For me, maybe a a warm cuddly duvet. Maybe a bit more painful images, but I want you to imagine now you can no longer live at home. Imagine you are exiled, you're sent away, you're banished, sent to another place another country, amongst another people, maybe even another language. Think of those feelings. Some of you may know we have uh, three Syrian families living with us here in Bister now. Nearly five million Syrians have been displaced because of the war in that country. And I was chatting to one of the fathers uh, earlier in the summer, he's moved over. I was chatting to him in Costa, which was a culture shock in and of itself for him. Uh, and he told me about his home He told me about his family, about how he used to spend his time, about what he used to do, about the beauty of Damascus. You could see a smile begin to form as he talked about home. And then the smile quickly turned to tears as he started to tell me about the difficulties his family was struggling with, having been in Bista for a few months. They couldn't speak the language. His children felt out of place at school. His recently pregnant wife didn't know how things worked in this country. They felt like utter strangers. Exiles. Now, the Bible talks about this thing called exile, not being allowed in one's country, being banished. It's a theme throughout the whole Bible. And if you're a Christian here today, the Bible says this world now is not your home. You are an exile. For some of you, you may be going, great. Some of you may go, oh, I quite like it here. But at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, he will call us home to the new heavens and to the new earth. But for now, we live as exiles. If you were to do a scan through the Bible, you'd see these themes right from the beginning. The beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are living at home with God, everything perfect. But they, like all of us since, rebelled against God's rule and were banished from their home Genesis then builds to a time when the city of Babylon, we're gonna hear a lot about Babylon, was first built. The people there, they built a tower in Genesis 11, a massively high tower, and they said they made it so that we may make a name for ourselves. Pride, right from the outset. And the story from then until now has been talk of home and talk of exile, seen through God's people Israel as they sought the promised land, their homeland, home, where they could live in as long as they stayed faithful to God. However, like us, they couldn't. (laughs) And exile came again as God allowed Israel to be conquered by Babylon. And it's here that we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. Two big themes, Babylon and exile. And it's massively relevant to us today. This is the Old Testament, you'll be sitting and going, I sometimes struggle finding the New Testament relevant, that was 2000 years ago, what about this? It's massively relevant to us today written thousands of years ago but so helpful as we live in this world as we live in Babylon you see for God's people today we live in a world not very different to that world a world a country a nation where God seems to have been defeated we see a country where if you read the right press or you not the right press you read the press you'll hear about falling church attendances The atheist agenda, loud and strong. People looking to follow Jesus, facing increasing issues, depending on what you read. Maybe you'll know it yourself. You'll experience it yourself, maybe. You won't quite feel at home. Maybe at work, in pub, in conversations. And in 605 BC, God's people were feeling something similar. Taken into exile in Babylon, the kingdom which at that time represented the anti-God movement of humanity in its day, the superpower of the day. And Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he comes to Jerusalem and he besieges it. He takes it over. The king of Babylon came to make war with the king of God's city. And the king of the pagan city, the king of Babylon won. He ransacked the temple of God we see here. He took his people back, he took God's people back to make them submit to his own gods. And if you were the people of Israel at that time, God seems defeated, doesn't he? His people are definitely no longer at home and you'd be asking the question, really God? Are you really in control? Are you really in charge here? Because it really doesn't seem like it, does it? And Daniel is written to them and now to us in exile to help us see how to live and to remind us that no, God is in charge. God's plan through God's man, we're going to be looking at that. God is in charge, God is in control, and exile, it's all part of his plan. For us now in Bister, whatever situation we've got going on now, it's all part of his plan. As we're going to see, we often think of Babylon and exile in negative terms, and the book of Daniel is going to help reorientate us as we look at these terms. You see, we see that God intends to do great things through his people in Babylon, that he intends to bless The nation to transform lives and save those who are under his wrath. And to do that, he needs a people dwelling there. A people finding themselves, in some ways, at home in Babylon, working out what it looks like to live there for him. People there who reveal who their God is, who the true God is, and making him known in that place. And so for us, I think we come to this question how do we live as God's people in this world? Well, let's dive in to Daniel one, having set that context. One verse one, look at it here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. It's an early foray into Jerusalem. It's not the final time he came in, but he comes and he conquers it. He defeats the king of Israel, ransacks the temple. And then we see what happens next. You saw it in the story. The Babylonians took the best and the brightest of Israel back with them including Daniel and his friends. It was exactly the same policy seen thousands of years later with Britain and India. You may have heard about it, the brightest and the best Indians were brought back to England, educated at Harrow and Sandhurst and then sent back to rule and govern having learned the British way. Domination by assimilation, makes sense. And for the Jews in exile it'd be so easy to think that God's abandoned them not only has he come and taken stuff from our temple, but you've taken the, the brightest, the young men who are going to rule us, going to help us. And we're going to see that he hasn't abandoned them. He's definitely in control. Did you notice verse 2, how it was written? It's great. Verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hand but defeat didn't take God by surprise we're going to see that throughout this book God is in charge but with God in control then whilst in Babylon how should these Israelites live how should God's people live and Daniel's going to help us see a little bit of what that looks like you see when in Jerusalem it was probably pretty easy for them pretty obvious for them they had a, they had a temple they had priests. The Lord seemed to be in charge there. It wasn't a massive issue to follow me at all. It wasn't countercultural. Of course, they didn't do it well all the time. They didn't do it perfectly, but it was, it was okay. It's more difficult now. I spent some time um, living in Egypt. Um, whilst I was there, I, it got more and more difficult for the Christians to operate in that country. Uh, for any church, for example, to get any maintenance done to that building, they had to get permission from the government to change a light bulb, anything. And this would take years to get anything done. And if they were found to have broken the law, well, the church was shut down. Christian groups of a certain size were banned from meeting together, and you definitely couldn't start anything new. Conversion was literally banned as well. It was physically pretty tricky to follow Jesus and definitely not the popular thing to be doing. I had a friend who wanted to get involved in professional level football, a good coach, a really good player. But he was barred at every single step of the way because his identity card said he was a Christian. As if he was living in Babylon in that sense. Daniel and his friends no longer in Jerusalem, no longer in power in that sense. They were in Babylon where other gods were being worshipped and the question is how are they gonna live? Well, you may have heard the saying, when in Rome do as the Romans do. When in Babylon do as the Babylonians do, could be said, couldn't it? Just compromise, just fit in. Don't cause a fuss, don't be difficult. Wonder if many of you hear that same voice. If you wanna fit in, doesn't wisdom just say to conform? Don't be difficult, don't be weird. Just toe the line. So we're gonna see how Daniel and his friends lived and acted whilst in Babylon, and this first chapter helps sets it up brilliantly. I think we see three really clear things which we can, we can learn ourselves about how we live whilst we live here in Bista. We've got three things, whilst in Babylon, don't withdraw from the world. Whilst in Babylon, don't conform to the world though and whilst in Babylon, do not be afraid. So firstly, whilst in Babylon, do not withdraw. You see, it may seem best when you're in the minority to just bunker down, to just form a a, a Christian huddle maybe, to spend all our time with other Christians, other people who are like us, people who think like us, who have the same aims and the same ambitions, it's a really natural thought and it's easy, isn't it? However, I wonder if you notice, before we get to what Daniel said no to, what did he say yes to first? Firstly, Daniel said yes to a pagan education. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's plan, as we saw, was that the state-funded University of Babylon course would fill the exiles' stomachs with the food of Babylon, fill their minds with the culture of Babylon, so that they would become Babylonians. And Daniel and the other exiles weren't scared of this plan. For us in this culture, we can't choose to not have any influence from other things. We can't live in this world and never go to a talk we don't agree with, or read a book, or watch TV, or read the news and not hear from the world's viewpoint. It's a challenge, we need to engage with it. What is important is that our hearts don't belong to Babylon, they're not ruled by it, as we're gonna see later, but there's no need to fear it. And Daniel didn't fear being taught their language. He didn't fear being taught about their philosophy or their religion. You see, to live a godly life in an alien culture, it's important to understand that culture. We'll see later how it benefited Daniel massively as he interpreted the king's dreams. He knew about their history, he knew about how it worked, so he could help the king in that way. I know a lot of people have done just that with with Islam. They have recognised it's growing influence or growing amount of Muslims living in their community, in their neighborhood, and instead of fearing it, instead of bunkering down, they've gone, I need to understand this. I need to know how to speak with love and kindness and boldness to these guys. I need to know how they think. It seems, we can see here that to be effective for God in Babylon, in Bista, it involves a serious attempt to understand the culture. So they didn't have an issue going to the university, but they didn't have an issue with their names being changed. Of the four we hear about here, two of their names ended with L, and two others ended with sort of Eh. (laughs) Names which told of God, they were godly names. We heard about the meaning of Daniel, they were godly names. And yet here we see them accepting pagan names. It's a bit like one of us moving to Middle East and being renamed Mohammed. They also said yes to a political career for this pagan nation, to being involved in the governance of this nation. Now many might say that's an outrageous compromise. How on earth could you serve and work for a pagan king? Someone going entirely opposite to what you think God might want. Others might say it's absolutely pointless getting involved in the culture because God's just gonna do his thing anyway. So let's just bunker down until he comes back and then we can go home. We see though in a book called Jeremiah, Jeremiah was written to these exiles. Jeremiah 29, we see what God's instructions were to those who were in exile. He commands them this, he says, whilst in exile, build houses, settle down, seek the peace and prosperity of a city to which I've carried you into exile. In other words, get involved, get stuck in, serve the people you with, don't stay on the fringes. Some people may have the impression that the only way to serve People. The only way to be part of this thing is Bister. The only thing worth doing is evangelism. The only thing to do is just to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's crucial, it's vital that we do because people need to hear and respond to the good news in light of God's return. But it's not the only thing. We're also called to live good lives in our communities. We see Peter say this in the New Testament. He talks to God's people and he says in 1 Peter 2, he says, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your souls. We're gonna see a bit more about that later. And to live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And it's not divorced from our witness at all, because as we live, as we show God's heart, as we show how he loves people, as we get involved, as Daniel did, as we show our God loves his world, we do so alongside people and we get opportunities to speak about him with them. We've seen this um, even at this school here at Longfields. Due to the relationships of a number of parents, a number of children here, we managed to get this venue to meet him. It's a real blessing. Because people got involved here, because people sent their children here, it led to that blessing. It led to many conversations about Jesus with those who spend their time here, with the parents here, with the headmaster, with others. It's been a great venue to meet in because people got stuck in. Now, it's gonna look different for different people depending whatever gifts and talents and opportunity God has given you. I know for a number of us, that means being involved in local sports clubs, often incredibly Babylonian places in some senses, but ones where we're trying to engage people there, we're trying to serve in those places and speak of Jesus and, and just serve those clubs in general. For a lot of people, it'd be our places of work where we may be different, we may feel very different. Maybe if you're a parent, where do you spend your time? At groups with families who don't know Jesus, at schools and clubs around Bista? What about our neighbours? Do they know we follow Jesus? Do we serve them? Just serve them. Hey, I'll babysit for you for free. Don't worry, you go out. You need some rice? Great, I can help you there. Do we serve them as we get to know them, as we love them, as we care for them in radical ways? We need to be engaged in this world. We need to be engaged in this place in Bista to be a blessing to it seeking its peace and prosperity as Daniel and his mates did. They understood the culture, they weren't afraid of it and they engaged with it. So whilst we live in Babylon, let's not withdraw. But secondly, whilst we live in Babylon, do not conform. Verse eight, look down on me, it's a crucial verse, but Daniel resolved not to defile defile himself with the royal food and wine. And it goes on, we all said he said he saw what he said yes to, but now we see a no, the first no we see. You see, the danger is as we live in this world, we become like it, too much like it. We become worldly. And Daniel, he's really polite here, isn't he? He doesn't kick up a huge fuss, but a line is drawn. Commentators, they're a bit puzzled about why he draws the line here. Um, some might say it could be the Jewish food laws, but that doesn't really have any issues to do with wine why he says no to the wine it could be the food was off to idols first but so with the vegetables he says he'll happily have Um, is it because people shouldn't eat meat well no proverbs tells you it's good to eat meat I'm very thankful for that praise God we're free in Christ to eat what we want to eat so the best guess is that Daniel draws his line here because of what eating the king's food and drink implied it implied Relationship, fellowship, submission—sitting at the king's table—it's a well-known phrase. We saw it as we looked at the parables, didn't we? We understood Middle Eastern culture a bit better. Inviting someone to eat with you is a real sign of relationship. And I think Daniel is saying here. I think he's saying here: This is my line. I'm going to not be compromised here. I'm going to not accommodate any more. Name, okay? University, fine. But here, I'm not going to be controlled by you here, King. He was making a resolution to show publicly that someone else was his king. I think the fact that it's a bit hard to interpret in itself may be significant. What we have here is not a specific blueprint of how to live in every situation. For Daniel, the line was food. For others, it, it may be vast wealth, like we see Jesus deal with with the rich young man in the Gospels. The key thing here is, though, he didn't just resolve. He wasn't all talk, he went through with it. I know for me, If you know me well, it's very easy to chat, to think about these things, and then do nothing. So I wonder, wherever lines you've drawn that demonstrate to people, we're not the same as everyone else. We won't just bow the knee to the secular world. We've been transformed and saved by the king of the universe. Is it really a good thing when somebody, after five years of working with you, go, oh, I never knew you were a Christian? You see, once you start drawing a line on some smaller issues, it will become easier to do it when it gets a bit harder. We're gonna see it through Daniel as harder decisions do come later. Where do we draw our lines? I had a friend at university, still a good friend, called Phil. Uh, when I joined uni, I joined the hockey club and I heard about the legend of Big Ginger Phil. If anyone knows Phil, he's big and he's ginger. It's not a creative nickname. He was the biggest drinker He was the biggest enforcers of others to drink. He was a legend when you turned up and a pretty handy hockey player. Within six weeks though, through a few of his friends, Phil had come to believe in Jesus and trust in him. It was was amazing. And as he looked at what God said about drunkenness, about being in control, he decided to give up alcohol completely whilst at university, knowing it would just be too much of a temptation. And it made such a difference everyone suddenly began asking him why, asking about his faith and he was sober enough to answer them. God blessed that decision as Phil trusted in him. He drew a line, wherever lines in your life as you look to honour God and live for him into response to what he's done for you, as you look to live as one of his people in this alien world, it's worth just saying again and again our salvation, our being saved by God is not dependent on what we do. But how we live now shows who we are now living for if we have been saved and transformed by him. So what are the lines that make us different? that say, I will not be a slave to this culture. Maybe it'll be what you watch. I know for me, this is a challenge for me. Maybe you won't be able to chat with everyone at work about the latest film, the latest series because it's just too graphic. It just doesn't honor God with my eyes. Maybe it's how you spend your time. Maybe like Phil, it's alcohol. Do do you know your limit? Maybe it's when your boss at work asks you to do something which you just know isn't right. Will you stand up then? You see, because Daniel is saying here, I'm under one king and one king only. And if there's a clash, he wins. If there's a clash, he wins. You see, for us as God's people in this secular culture, there will be things we draw lines on. We're seeing in the Church of England at the moment, aren't we, as they discuss issues around sexuality. It'll be something we'll have to draw a line on here as well at church. Not culturally popular, no, but by God's word, right. Now, as we think about what it looks like to not conform, there's probably gonna be two dangers. You can either draw far too many lines or not draw any lines. Some people's witness to God is hopeless because they're not in the world at all. How can we speak and live for Jesus if nobody who doesn't know Jesus knows who we are? And some of us are going to be in the world far too much, and you really couldn't tell the difference between us and someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Sometimes there's going to be no need to debate the line at all. There's just no discussion. You get asked to lie at work to cover up for someone. Well, we know the Bible says that God doesn't lie. It calls us to be like him and to not lie and to be honest in all we do, so it's pretty simple. You see, Daniel resolved and he did it. He didn't get caught in philosophical contortions. Sometimes it's harder though, and you need to chat to godly friends and just to pray it through. Maybe as we start this new series, you need to resolve to draw some lines, to think about what it looks like to be like Daniel here. Maybe if you can sense God prodding in a few areas, know that with confidence you can come and ask for forgiveness forgiveness for when we haven't drawn lines forgiveness when we've compromised or when we've gone "Ah, it's just a bit too much effort or or if I don't do that or if I do do that it's just gonna be weird my friends it's just gonna be weird because we can be hugely confident that God will forgive us because his son died he's took the punishment we deserve so that we might live so ask him today to help you stick to your lines ask him to help you work out what they might need to be And trust that God will honour and bless you as you do, because that's his plan. See how it works out for Daniel? He was blessed because he followed God's plan. Now don't hear me, we don't preach a prosperity gospel that the more you do for God, the more you get. But we do preach the gospel that says follow Christ and you will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here, he blessed them with all they needed to serve him in Babylon. Babylon wasn't magic we see in Daniel chapter 10 Daniel worked incredibly hard to get as wise as he did and God will bless us what we need to remain true to him and to serve him it may involve success in this life for some of us it might for Jesus and the apostles it involved death but blessing him in the next life but we're called to serve God in a pagan town remembering he's in control and Bicester in the world we're called not to conform finally then Whilst we live in Babylon, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear is a great motivator, isn't it? How we behave is often determined by what we fear most. If you fear your colleagues more than God, you're going to do what they want. If you fear your friends more than God, you'll do exactly the same. For Daniel, the call was to follow Nebuchadnezzar, but he stood firm because he remembered that God is always in control. He didn't fear Nebuchadnezzar. The whole book's going to remind us of this. God's plan through God's man. And it makes sense that God is in control, doesn't it? God created the world. It makes sense that he's in charge of it. We're reminded of it in verse 2, weren't we? The Lord delivered Jehoiakim. We see it as God cares about Daniel's resolve in verse 9. Now God had caused the fish to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God is in control, friends. So let's not be afraid. For those maybe really suffering, really struggling now, we need to know that God is sovereign. Life may be outrageously tough, but it's good to know that God is in charge and he's for you. Because God God is in control, we don't need to be afraid of the culture we live in. We don't need to be afraid to get involved. And we don't need to be afraid of what our friends might think if we do something different to what they'd like. God is in control. Human powers come and go, don't they? Think back to India, we were talking about it earlier. In 1936, our queen's dad was proclaiming himself emperor of the British Empire. 11 years later, independence. Two and a half thousand years ago, Babylon, superpower. We've had Turkey, we've had Britain. We've had America, Russia, China. I'm really sorry to say it, American friends. In time, another superpower will take your place. May already be happening. What has happened to the Babylonian Empire? Well, you can pop down to the museum and see a few exhibits if you want. That's all there is. Human powers come and go, but God is in control and in charge. The kingdom of God, it may have been and continue to look from the outside, it may be a little bit pathetic. It's been ransacked, but it will last. It will last because of God. It's gonna last because he came himself and got engaged in this world. He didn't withdraw. Through Jesus, he got involved in the most possible way he could have done. He lived among us, he didn't withdraw from it. He submitted to human authority, but when that clashed, he submitted to God's rule, didn't he? He did not conform. He reminded Pilate before he pronounced his death sentence that all authority comes from above, that God is in control. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he was still in control. He had to die, it was all part of the plan. He died for our sin. He died for those times when we compromised because he never blew it. He always followed his father's will and he took the punishment for our compromises and our failures. He's in control. And one day, and this is great news, one day every knee will bow and every knee will confess. Even those people, even those powers we fear so much. God is in control, they will bow. Putin, he's gonna bow. Assad is gonna bow. Nebuchadnezzar, your boss who mocks you for following Jesus will bow. Your friend who you think can never follow Jesus will bow. And on that day there's going to be no doubt that the wise person will be the one who submitted to him. You see until we submit to God we live as a citizen of Babylon and that is our home. But if we put our trust in Jesus we become citizens of the kingdom of God. But we live in Babylon until he returns. And if you haven't put your trust in him today, you can. Please do today. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to Lanx. God is in control. So as we start this series, I think it makes sense to reverse our three points, which just helps us see it. Firstly, the pillar to remember is that God is in control. God is in charge, so we do not need to be afraid. And out of that then, we see, because God is in charge, because we do not need to fear, we don't need to be worried about getting involved in this world. Let's not be afraid of this world. Get stuck into Bista, get stuck into its culture, get stuck in with making relationships with its people. It'll be messy, of course it will be. But let's serve it, let's love it, let's engage with this place. And let's not fear man. Let's not fear what our friends might think for following Jesus, for drawing lines which may not be popular, draw lines which may just be culturally a bit different. We wanna go God's way, not the world's. So do not be afraid. God's in charge. We're gonna see that in Daniels. We see how God's plan comes about through God's man. Praise God. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are God and you are in control and you're working all things out for your glory and for your good. Thank you so much that you did not withdraw from this world, that you got involved that you came to earth to die in our place. Thank you that now as we live in this world, we can trust that you are in charge. Help us, Lord, to know what it looks like to get hugely involved in loving the people around us and the places you've put us in. And help us know what it looks like to live distinctly as your people. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord, that you are seated on your throne as king of all. We praise you. In your name, amen.